specialist spc and king's comics back again for another episode of the Lorian live and today you guys we got ourselves a special guest we have got sean chandler from sean chandler talks about how are you doing today sir i am doing good i am getting to talk star wars um getting to hang out with andy over the internet uh, getting to speak with you once again, Austin. So many cool things all in one. I guess what is it? It's not the morning anymore. It's afternoon. All on a Saturday afternoon. Well, it's morning somewhere, and uh, someone's probably watching this over cereal and coffee. So there you go. That is true. That is true. So, guys, today we are here to talk about the finale of Season 3 of The Mandalorian. And before we get into it, Sean, obviously, since it's been a while, uh, yes, kind of wanted to get your thoughts on what you thought about Star Wars since the last time we saw you and your overall thoughts on season three. All righty. So Star Wars, it was so his last time we spoke. Was that season two of The Mandalorian? Yeah, the, uh, the Eris episode, I believe. Okay. So since then... Um, well, I, I mean, my feelings about Star Wars for about four years, of, more, maybe more than that, have been kind of all over the place. Of There's always something in there that was like, that was awesome. And then there's always a bunch of other things like, to quote Padme, you're breaking my heart. There, it's just <laughs> always a little bit of all of it. Um, and so last year, Book of Boba Fett, yep. I just don't think they had a, I don't know what that was, but it was not good. And clearly they didn't have enough story to even do the full episodes or season so they had to cram in two episodes of the mandalorian into it to pad it out uh mm -hmm. kenobi i thought was a huge disappointment there was so much potential there and then they just made some very odd story choices that i just didn't I, it just was such an odd focus but then in the execution that's the one that i just i, I for disney i think is unforgivable there are things in the execution of mm -hmm. chase sequences costumes where i went that's not good enough that you're not low budget. This isn't indie where you can excuse things like that. You're Disney. Yep. This is Star Wars. In that chase sequence with Leia in the forest, that is not acceptable. But Andor, I thought it was mm -hmm. one of the coolest things we've gotten in Star Wars in kind of ever. Of yes, just sir. something different that fits in the mythology, that expands it in interesting ways. Uh, Star Wars... Uh, um, what, what was the, the uh, shorts fish. about Dooku and Ahsoka? Visions tales or tales? Tales. Yeah, there were, tales, tales. Visions, I was not crazy about, but it was like, hey, that's that was never going to be for me. I wasn't crazy about Visions. Tales, I think I was the other way. You guys said different ones. Uh, tales, I really enjoyed that. And I thought that was like, oh, let's get more of these. This is a neat little way to flesh things out without needing to give everybody a movie or a, a full series. This is a good way to do it. Mm -hmm. So where am I in Mandalorian Season 3? Or where, I guess it's over with. What did I feel about Mandalorian Season 3? I, I felt it was a little bit too much in the vein of Kenobi and Book of Boba Fett. Mm -hmm. uh, there was great things in there. There's a couple episodes that are like, yeah, that's classic Mandalorian. And then there was a lot of stuff. Well, 
if you just wrote on a chalkboard, we're going to do Reclaim Mandalore. Yep. Bo and Mando have to resolve their Darksaber issues. Mm-hmm. There's a conspiracy of the re- re- revival of the um, Imperials that leads into the First Order. Incompetence of the New Republic leading into why the First Order. If you just wrote that on a board, I'd be like, oh, that's a great season right there. That's a That's a bunch of cool plot lines. But it felt like half the plot lines were oh in Mando reclaiming his honor but yeah. like half the half of the these plot lines are resolved way too quick quick and the mm-hmm. other half took way too long to get going and so i just it just felt like in the execution in the writing they took a bunch of great ideas and i i do not understand why they chose to go the path that they did there we go that's my overall catching you up on where i'm at with star wars okay all right. And we got uh, Brandon here in the comments and or best show. I unfortunately have my thoughts about Andor, but uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about that at a later time. And we got Connor from Not That Bad, a movie podcast. Just want to stop in and say hello. Best of luck on the stream. Appreciate you. Good, sir. Thank you all both for stopping in and saying hi. So... Again, uh, season three of The Mandalorian, here the final episode. There is a lot to talk about with this episode. Andy, we're going to start off with you, because I know you you definitely had quite a lot to say. So uh, I I think I'm going to kind of bounce off of Sean's point, right, and say this season finale was frustrating to me, right? Like it kind of ticked me off because it shows the kind of standard it shows the kind of quality we want out of the mandalorian you know i mean it shows the kind of quality we should be able to expect from disney with star wars media so i mean this episode i'll, I'll get into my like score later but this kind of just revisited mandalorian season one in full for me and that was also just even more driven home by just kind of how awkward this season was overall, right? Like it felt like we had a good bit of filler. Uh, my buddy Brandon put it that way. And yeah, it felt like you could have maybe done everything we saw in like half the number of episodes. If I'm going to be honest, if you just kind of crammed it all together. But at the same time, it's not that they didn't have enough plot points to fill mm-hmm. eight episodes. I think that's what was so confusing about the okay. season for me is that once again, if we put on the board, all these different plots, that's a season's worth of stuff. But it still felt like we've have rabbit tra- all these rabbit trails that it's like I was such an odd mix of I don't know I I'm very confused but I, there's times where I wish I could be in the writers room like <laughs> what was the exact discussion as to why they made these choices when at the same time I like there's so much good great stuff in there not good stuff great stuff right. in there well and I also I feel like some of the plot points might have worked better in other shows. Right, like maybe some of the New Republic stuff, cover it somehow in Book of Boba or in, not Andor, but uh, in Obi-Wan, I mean in Kenobi. I feel like it could have been spread out in different shows other than The Mandalorian. I heard someone uh, in my comments, I read someone wrote that, that episode three that felt like, well, that was a weird rabbit trail. Oh, this yeah. This is interesting the... stuff. What if that was like a special Instead of it like cramming it into the middle of the season, oh yeah. What if you took that and said, "Hey, we're gonna do like this little bridge. It's a standalone little Star Wars story about what are they doing with Imperials and the mm-hmm. New Republic." I think it plays better that way. 
Yep. Because it it's it you present it not as part of this bigger season, and it's not. I mean, they're not Mandalorians, so it's mm-hmm. weird to have a story centered on them in the middle of this season. Well, you take the same plot and do it just a month before the show debuts, and it teases a little bit of this. What's going on with the New Republic? Oh, there's a conspiracy here. I think it plays better. Well, and I want to like say that when you bring up Star Wars visions and uh, Tales of the Jedi, right? Like Disney has proven they can handle like kind of anthological, mm-hmm. like formatted series, right? Like where each episode is a different theme or tone. And it's like, yeah, we had multiple parts in this ser- in this season that would have worked better as like just being a self-contained series of like standalone episodes, because then you don't have like yeah, Doctor Pershing and Elia Kane's side story. I loved it. I know some people felt mixed, but I loved getting to see that vision of what the New Republic's doing and why people are getting tired of it. But, but like when it's in the setting of the Mandalorian, yeah, I don't know. What are you thinking, Austin? Because I got I got thoughts on that too. I mean, I do agree. Kind of like we brought up earlier. Like I feel like this was more in line of like Tales of the Jedi. We got different stories about like the different kind of people throughout this season. I mean, I'd have been a little bit more invested. Like maybe. Like especially the uh, the Christopher Lloyd Jack Black Lizzo episode, like <laughs> classic, classic. Yes, I-, I would have loved to have seen like a little bit more of a backstory on Christopher Lloyd's character, just to kind of see mm-hmm. how he kind of viewed the Clone Wars and stuff like that. Because I-, I would have felt a little bit more attached, maybe kind of understood. But to me, he was just like a random villain who just kind of showed up with this random little plot line to give well, us. To Sean's point about like it potentially like working better in its own self-contained series, mm-hmm. he brings up the point that there are still kind of separatists out there. You know what I mean? And I feel like that's a pretty as someone who doesn't oh, have as I much. Guess... What are you thinking, Sean? Well, I guess because I was, was going to say Imperials, but I guess there are ties to separatists in there as well. So there's a yeah. lot of ties in well, of all of it. Because he name drops, he name drops King right. Duke, right? <laughs> right? Like that's yeah. like not a good, that's not a small cameo to bring up, like yeah. or Easter egg. It's like. What? There's a lot to go off of that. Like, I, and, and I mean, that's widely regarded as one of the worst episodes of the season. <laughs> uh, and all the complaints are it's a side quest and um, these weird cameos. But if you once again, if you step back mm-hmm. and you go, what happened to all those droids? What about all the people yeah. that supported the Separatists? They're still out there. That's an interesting idea. Yes. That's a cool concept. Well, and then you watch an episode and you're like... Why, what is Lizzo doing here? Why Jack Black? What's kind of going on? And that, like, that's the stuff this season that just it yeah. wasn't devoid of ideas mm-hmm. that could be something great. It's not devoid of ideas that fit this show mm-hmm. where they're going. Things bridging between Mandalorian and sequels mm-hmm. and tying back into old things. Just something in the the execution, the writing was just very off. Well, I also hate. So part of the, the series literally starts off with them talking about how they need a new memory board for IG-11, right? And how they're super hard to find. And then they go to an entire planet of droids. <laughs> you know, like they go to this planet where droids are very prominent, very present, and you've got a literal engineer who works on droids. And they don't use that as an opportunity to get a new memory board for IG-11. And that just felt weird and like a misfire mm-hmm. for me. Especially if you're going to resolve it with there's one. <laughs> I, I, well, and I guess to some of this point of like uh, on some of these things, um, I mentioned before, it just felt like a lot of t- 
both it felt like they rushed certain plot points or they resolved things too quickly or they would do something that they would just undo. Yep. So Mandalorian, you needs to reclaim his honor. Oh man, that'll be a great quest for the season. No, he does it in the next episode. And then mm-hmm. you get to episode five and it's like, you Mandalorians are great. You can live right there. I will allow <laughs> you to live right there. And then in the next episode, they're like, well, we're going to go and reclaim Mandalore. Mm-hmm. And even as they're like, you're going to get settled right there. It was in the context of we're going to go reclaim Mandalore. So like, why did you give them a place to settle? If you're going to leave, do that same plot point in episode two. So you say, oh, for the, for the course of the season, we're, we're settling here. Mm-hmm. And then in episode seven, we're going to, that makes sense. But yeah. if you do it in episode five, what are you doing? Well, like, why on earth would you set them up to have a place to live right as they're going to leave? And then episode seven, ah, IG 11 is IG 12. Grogu, you have a suit. Just kidding. You don't have a suit. IG 11 is back. Like mm-hmm. that's sort of like, we're going to set, oh, that's kind of interesting. Oh, no, undone. That was so weird. And they kept doing it. Well, also the fact of the matter is with that kind of tractive land they got, it, it wasn't like they ran out of room for ideas. I'm going to backpedal and say that because they had attractive land and like a settlement. It could have, they could have used more time to go into the philosophy behind the old Mandalorians, you know, like the covert and then uh, Axe Wobes band of like Mandalorian mercenaries. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't go into that as much as they could have. And they had a whole settlement kind of thing, like where they could have built upon that, that I think would have had a better emotional payoff for me, at least if they cared into that more. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you guys. I mean, there's, they had so many, like the IG-11 thing. That's like one of the big examples I use. Like, mm-hmm. they bring him back in the first episode, and then they kind of just, like, forget about him. Yeah, forget for about it. episodes. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, hey, I'm back again. It's like, oh, well, okay. And then, like Sean just said, you know, oh, yeah, I'm a suit. And then the next episode, he gets halfway chopped up. And then it's like, well, what was the point in even bringing IG-11 back for this? I mean, you want to bring him back, like, bring him back. Right. Don't bring it back is just like a, hey, remember me kind of a thing. This is kind of how I felt about uh, some things in like Book of Boba Fett for a few things, like Cad Bane. Like, for a I, like, few I, like I like, I like, yeah, I know, I know. Like, I like Cad Bane as a character, but yeah, it's kind of like a, hey, remember me? And then the finale episode, he gets, I don't know if he's killed or what really they're going to do with it. If there's going to be a second season of Book of Boba Fett, which mm-hmm. I would assume probably not at this point. Well, and Sean, that's so since Sean, you haven't been up to speed on kind of my points of view. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what I've said is it feels like Disney is kind of marvelizing or MCUifying Star Wars a little bit, right? Because we have all these cameos in there. We have a uh, the Mandalorian season three now kind of requiring you to know a lot more about rebels and kind of pre-existing star Wars canon to appreciate it more. So I feel like season three kind of fell short in that regard of it feeling like they're setting up a bunch of other stuff or they're just using cameos at for like non important for unimportant stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, like I felt like when they did it last season, it was it was fun and interesting because mm-hmm. it was like Ahsoka shows up. It's a little bit like, well, look who just showed up. It's a little bit of that, 
But at the same time, we paused and we spent time with her. We learned about Grogu. Her, her as a kid, it made sense. Bo showing up. Oh, we're looking for Mandalorians. Where's all the people that are in the canon that also wear these helmets? So we tried. So there's a, like a logic to it. And we spent enough time with them for it to be interesting and fun. In season three, like, I mean, we just have like a guy from Rebels just in a bar. And, and he got like, and it was just, hey, I remember him when he was a cartoon. Yep. It was just that. And once again, one of those things where I was trying to figure out what they were going to do in the finale. And I was, I felt like they, the season itself set up a bunch of really cool, here comes the Calvary moments. Yes. So you, you have a big battle. Your heroes start to lose. Oh no, all is lost. Here comes the Calvary. Yep. It's a trope of big finales, but it works every time mm-hmm. if you set it up properly. So they set up our new Republic guy who's also friends with a member of the Rebels. Yes. And and then a totally different direction. They set up Bo is now best friends with the Mythosaur. Mm-hmm. So you've set up now in the final battle where it, the way it's shot, it looks like there's 20 Mandalorians battling an army of not even an arm like it felt like very low numbers but there's not a lot of mandalorians battling a whole whatever this is of imperials and you set up our rogue new republic guy that knows something's off mm-hmm. he shows up to save the day yep with with his, with people from rebels and you go oh oh look what that was cool mm-hmm. no that didn't happen you, well, you, all you did was have him show up in a bar like oh that's all you did well, also, I I feel like I feel like Boba Fett should have been involved, right? Like as one of the biggest Mandalorian names in the series as well, right? I I, I thought that there was going to be like some reinforcement from Tatooine or some I like he was going to send like a mercenary band to back him up or something like that, or that they were at least going to talk to him he about like, the Power Rangers to come over and help. Oh him. gosh. <laughs> but I mean, but that's what I mean. Like I feel like that was a missed opportunity to like involve him more. I feel like that would have redeemed him from the book of Boba Fett, like the book of Boba, in my opinion, is if he were involved somehow in the reclaiming of Mandalore. Yeah. No, well, like I said last season, like the cameos for last season actually like helped the story progress, actually like right. involve them in the story. But regards to this season, that's just like we keep saying, it's like, oh, hey, there's that guy. Oh, hey, there's Zeb. There's IG-11. There's this person. Like. But they, they serve really no purpose to this plot of the story this yep. season. It's very sad. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> and I, I've, I've had people in my comments like calling me a, a nitpicker. I, like, I've been called a nitpicker. Or like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. The show has always had side quests. It's like, yes, but it's that, that doesn't mean just like... The full criticism it just is that it's side quests. Like yep. season one, just the pure novelty of we have live action Star Wars Weekly was cool. So there's a fresh novelty to it. But also they I think they had they had better little side quests. Yeah. Episode four, they introduce a cool character in Cara Dune. And it's yeah. also it's the Magnificent Seven as yep. Star Wars. It's the seven samurai. It's so it's a cool story. They were taking like these classic little uh, Western samurai movie tropes or format uh story structures turning them into star wars stories star wars has always been inspired by those so that's yep. cool it's like oh that's neat season two i don't think the individual stories were as strong because it was mm-hmm. always go to this place where we'll hear the next piece of information there's a cameo 
We have an adventure. The cameo person tells us the next place to go to have another cameo. Yep. I don't think it was quite as the stories weren't as good, most of them. But there was it was that we met someone that was interesting to see. And some of them were really good. The first one, the Marshall with Cobb, I thought that was a good little standalone little adventure. Once again, very much like a Western. You show up, the sheriff in town needs help, and so they cut a deal to go solve the thing. Like that's a classic little story. Yep. And then like the side quests here of like a kid got kidnapped. Like it's just it just wasn't as interesting. It wasn't as fun. And some of the freshness was kind of gone. Mm-hmm. But they're like nit like people kept saying like you're nitpicking. It's like it's I don't think it's just that. I, I think that there's something in the way that the Something went off in the construction of this season. If that was they're having to put out too many seasons too quickly, if they had to do Book of Boba Fett, which has sucked their energy out from doing this one, mm-hmm. they're trying to set up Ahsoka. They started developing Rangers of the New Republic. They were writing that, and then that fell through. So then they had to incorporate some of the ideas from that into this. Oh, I yeah. don't know. I don't like, and that's one of the things that there's one of those theories is that what's some kind of going on with this season is that they were developing uh, Rangers of the New Republic to tell some of these stories to set up where they're they're going with their big end goal of Thrawn or whatever in the movie. But then Gina Carano gets fired. And they're going, oh, do we have a different, do we reshuffle the show? Do we? And so all of a sudden you have these little subplot things inside of the season where it's like, yep. we just kind of go off to talk about the New Republic a lot, even though that's not generally what the show's been about. Well, when you put it that way, yeah, now I see it. Like, when you talk about, like, Rangers of the New Republic being canceled, it's like, yeah, we did have a lot of New Republic stuff in this season for, uh, I don't want to say for better, but I don't exactly want to say for worse. It's just a lot of it didn't land. And, and, I, and I think 100% it's the writing. Yeah. You could have, like, incorporated it in if New Republic guys showing up more regularly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I just think there's a lot of things that episode two – you make that one the one where the Mandalorians get a new home world. Yep. And then you also very early on, whenever like episode three, they go to Mandalore and they discover then Moff Gideon is there. So that yep. you immediately go, oh crap, how are these Mandalorians that are now meeting together going to be able to get back to Mandalore? Well, they're going to have to get everybody work together, be unified. Don't use that as a twist reveal. Being a twist reveal meant like, why can't you go back to Mandalore? There's yeah, no one right. there. Well, there's a cloud. You, it, you were wrong. Just go back. If you're all together, the spider thing won't get you. <laughs> but if you make it so they go there to like check it out, and Mando's trying to reclaim his honor, and there's people there, and then you make episode four, he has to sneak in around them to take his bath with Imperials everywhere. But right. he, like in order to pull everyone together, he has well, to like reclaim his honor for them to listen to him. Like that, like I'm, like I'm just spitballing here, but I go, I'm more excited about that taking their things they came up with, but then just reorganizing them a little bit to where there's more dramatic tension, there's more payoff, and it, it feels like it's building towards something. And there's stakes. Not they went to Mandalore and there was nothing there, so you immediately went, why haven't they gone back twenty years ago? What's going? What is, what is this? Well, and that's also why. Like the pay, like I really liked episode seven was great. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I read yeah. it like a 9.5, but one of my problems was the level of speculation because of episode seven for the payoff was such was outlandish, right? Because it's called the spies and you get Elia Kane in the first part and it's like, okay, she's one of the spies. We kind of predicted that that makes sense. But then these, 
these these episode names, these these titles always have like a dual meaning. So when you call it the spies, it's like, okay, we're yeah. who's, who's the other spy or who are the other spies, right? And I guess the other spy was technically Moff Gideon and the, you know, like the Imperials because they were on Mandalore spying on them. But they never, they did not heavily foreshadow or allude to that other than like TIE fighters coming and blowing up, uh, blowing up Bo-Katan's castle or whatever. So I feel like that did not have a good payoff to maybe I'm missing something. I don't know. I think that's just another example of like kind of poor setup and poor payoff. Right. Well, and I think there was a lot of that of <laughs> implications of things that uh, your brain immediately comes up with something more interesting with what they did. Like, did I have fun with it? Is it always fun to see laser swords and stormtroopers and Mandalorians and flamethrowers? Yeah. And sp- is that fun to watch? Yes. But it felt like they did like the most straightforward version. And that that's where it was like there there like and there were reveals that you wanted like, oh that was cool, but then you'd immediately go, it could have been even better if. That, yep. that was the thing for me that was just there was just a lot of it could have been better ifs. Yes. More like yeah. a Star Wars what if kind of a thing, ideally. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I, I just agree with that. I get I guess uh, kind of just tearing into the season finale. And once again, I loved it. I loved episode seven and eight. They were the strongest of the season for me. But I still feel like, sadly, there was not as much payoff for certain things that were set up as I was expecting, right? Like, we just kind of don't revisit the New Republic stuff. Um, at the end of, like, episode, what is it, six or seven, where uh, the New Republic guy finds, he finds uh, Moff Gideon's, like, vessel, and it's broken out of, and there's, like, Beskar there. I feel like that would have been followed up on, you know what I mean? I feel like that's a pretty big deal, is that you're finding Beskar in a ship that had a... So the payoff is that he's been building Imperial suits. Yes. So it, it pays off in a way, but it pays off in a way that doesn't like, it's almost like a subtle, like, I don't like, it's like, that's, I don't know. It's, it's once again, the, like the oddity of the way it was done. Like, is there a payoff as to why there was Beskar there? Right. Yes, there was because there's new, these new stormtroopers that are covered in Beskar, but it's like, you don't, doesn't piece together the way that you would think it would. Well, and that's what I mean, right? Is like that's a pretty <laughs> that's a pretty big thing to not have a big payoff. You know what I mean? Is like it's a confidential cruiser that no one knew about because of how serious the pay like how serious the payload was. Um, there's presence of Beskar, a metal that like the most valuable metal in the Star Wars canon, right? And then Moff Gideon, one of the highest ranking members, like of the Shadow Council and of the Sith, I mean, and of the Empire. It's just gone, and we didn't have any Republic follow-up on that. That feels like a very big missed opportunity. Yeah, you'd think the New Republic would have went to find the Mandalorians again and like asked them and been like, "Oh, hey, you guys have Mouth Gideon, anything like that?" But well, and that would have so Sean, like you said, you know, the cavalry coming in that would have tied in perfectly to the New Republic, like helping them out, right? Is like you know them thinking Mob Gideon's loose, and then that would have tipped them off that something's wrong. You know, like that, wait, Moff Gideon's missing? Like, I th- that would have been better. Here's the one that, like, just blew my mind. They mm-hmm. int- Like, why on, they finally answered, well, what on earth was Grind Moff Gideon doing with Grogu's blood? Mm-hmm. So he's cloning himself to have force using Grand Moff Gideon's. Yep. So the show is now set up. Moff Gideon is a, can be defeated by Mando, but he's a worthy, that's a, fair matchup between the two of them. 
Now we upgrade Moff Gideon by giving him Beskar armor. So now Mando doesn't have the upper hand. Yep. So we bring him into Bo-Katan, who also has the Darksaber. So the two of them together can now defeat Grand Moff Gideon in his Beskar armor. Mm -hmm. But what if we then introduce... He's a force user. So yes. the two of them can't defeat him because he's yep. a force user. And so he's they're doing their thing. He goes, by the way, starts throwing them around because he's a force user. But we also introduced Grogu has been training with Luke Skywalker, yes. according to John Favreau, for two or three years. Mm -hmm. Grogu, we already knew could use the force. So you have a moment where you have two scrappers, one of them trained with a dark saber, one of them just a scrapper, and someone that can use the force. All three of them together would lose individually to force using yes. Beskar armored Moff Gideon. The three of them together team up and you even use the line that she used. Mandalorians are strongest together, whatever her line was. Yep. And so you have to do that to defeat this clone super soldier with the Beskar armor. Well, and that, I think that would have been and They more didn't awesome. do it. <laughs> they didn't do it. It was right there. They set it up, not me. They set it up. You made me think, oh, oh, is that where this? No, they didn't go there. Well, ima imagine what I would have loved. Imagine if, if uh, Din, right? If Dinjar, if Mando is walking through all the cloning chambers, and one of them's empty, right? Like one of one of them's empty, and you realize something's wrong, and then you yeah. realize the Moff Gideon they're facing is a clone, mm -hmm. and then the mm -hmm. bigger implications are that Moff Gideon is still alive, right? Right, but now, but his clones were sent to handle. Like I think that would have been. That would have been better because it would have been like, okay, Moff Gideon's tactical or strategic. He knows that even if this goes wrong, he's still alive and he can like redo it or something. Like, you know, like. And I feel like almost certainly Moff Gideon's going to come back because if you set up cloning so quickly and just like, there's a bunch of clones of me. Oh, we blew them all up. Did you really? I'm sure he's yeah. going to come back. But they didn't do it in a way that it, it didn't feel like they, they set up properly earning that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That's that's the thing that was so frustrating because there were so many things that were so cool about it. And that's where, like, watching the episode, like, ma like finally this season, Mando just tears dudes up. Yeah, like some of the most like he just goes all out destroying dudes. Mm -hmm. So many awesome things, and then so many others where I was like, uh, you, you could have what? Please, why didn't you? Well, that would have. I mean, that would have also been an opportunity, right? Is if Oh man, like if you have all these, uh, you know, death troopers or whatever flying around and then one of them just force chokes someone and you realize that something's very wrong and then like their helmet gets knocked off and you realize all these death troopers are Moff Gideon clones. You don't have to show them all, you know, like you don't have to CGI uh, John Lewis, Giancarlo's face over a bunch of them, but I don't know. I feel like, uh, I feel like Brandon put it best where he says they took the safe route IMO. I wish they used that more. Yeah, they had just so much great things that they set up. I mean, again, you know, they could have taken the whole like middle four episodes completely out of the show. I mean, maybe keep, obviously keep, you know, the Grogu being saved by mm -hmm. the sabered hand. I can't remember. the. I know it's Ahmed best, but I can't remember what the character's name oh, is. Oh yes. In my head. Uh, but, like, keep that. Even you could have made that into, like, its own individual little episode. Kind of, you know, show what happened after that, where he was with Grogu and all that. Or even, too, do, like, a little another little spinoff show of that as well. But mm -hmm. it's just, I mean, I, I, I still do 
like the season overall. It is very clearly, though, the weakest mm-hmm. of all the seasons of The Mandalorian thus far. Because the biggest praise I always give with the show is that whole first season, how it's a very just self-contained story, all brand new characters, a lot of world building and stuff. Yep. It doesn't tie into the grand scape of what Star Wars is. Mm-hmm. Just that, you know, the Imperials are here. Like, this is what the Empire is doing. And then next season, you know, you start bringing and then, in and more then characters. It, it, that it felt like Star Wars without having to go Skywalker, Jedi, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, Sith. It didn't have to do that stuff, and it mm-hmm. still felt so Star Warsy. That like yes. that's what was like. Ah, this is fresh and nice. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I, I'm I'm really I'm keeping my fingers crossed that Ahsoka is going to be that way. Like maybe that's going to feel more, I guess, samurai-ish is kind of the way yeah, I'm yeah. going to word it. Well, um, and that's kind of like uh, kind of like what Sean was saying about season one. And I guess, Austin, like we've been saying about season one, Star Wars has always, and I think this also set it apart from the the prequel trilogies, is the original trilogy had so much like samurai, cowboy western influence, right? And then kind of built up into a space opera that we got so much of that in seasons one and two, right? Like Mando's a gunslinger. You had the Seven Samurai Jurassic Park with the ATAT like showdown. Um, you know, you just had a lot of like older movie West uh, influences that kind of made it feel like the vibes of OG Star Wars. And you didn't get as much of that in seasons two and three. Yeah, season two, they tried to tie it in a lot more with, you know, what we know of Star Wars. Even again, obviously bringing in Luke Skywalker, which <laughs> easily one of the best moments of the show thus far. But I mean, at the same time, though, because when I kept hearing about all the rumors of all these cameos coming you know boba fett was going to be in ahsoka was going to be in i was afraid they were going to take away from you know the story of mando and grogu because that's obviously why i watch the show because i'm very invested in them but when they kind of just went different directions when mando's honestly barely even in the season he's in like half of it i would honestly just personally say i guess i'm not sure Mm -hmm. but uh to me, they just kind of wasted Mando. Like, the first two episodes were great. The middle section is kind of where well, they kind of went off in their own directions. I'll I disagree a little. Actually, Sean, what were you going to say? I'll throw this out there. I okay. feel like, I don't, no idea what their original plans with, with all this was, but I feel like after season one, they went, oh, crap, Grogu's too popular. You, you can't abandon him. Uh-huh. And I, I have a four-year-old. I mean, she loves Grogu, doesn't like Star Wars, but she loves Grogu. I was at Legoland and Universal last weekend. Every kid under the age of five is wearing Grogu pajamas or carrying it. Like, <laughs> merchandising, like, it's just brilliant. I mean, everybody wants one. Um, and they realize we, we, that's too pivotal to the show. But I feel like... And and there's all sorts of rumors that Kathleen Kennedy kind of mandated Book of Boba Fett or something like that. that we uh, don't want that familiar character. Mm-hmm. I feel like this season was in in their minds like Book of Bo-Katan. It's not meant to be Mandalorian yeah. in season three. And I don't think that's a bad thing, except that you called it the Mandalorian. You undid the ending of the last season. You had two seasons of Mandalorian that mm-hmm. ended on a very satisfying note. It was a very clear journey. And then you get to this next season. They're still the stars of the show. But what's their character arc? What are they trying to do? What's their motivation? They're just kind of along for the ride. 
for Bo-Katan. And she's an interesting enough character that she can carry a show. That's not to say like, oh, no, why are they doing it with this terrible character? She's interesting. She does have a character arc. Mm-hmm. She grows as one of the best character arcs of this entire series. Agreed. But, but it's called The Mandalorian. Yes. She's a Mandalorian. And maybe if they'd made some statements trying to explain exactly what was going on, like to make it clear, like, Dinjarin, his story is essentially complete. And now the lead is her. And we, we don't want to bait and switch or anything, just so you know. But she's also a Mandalorian. And she's the heir to this throne. And she's going to bring the people. Like, there's all these things they could do. Or just call it Book of bo Make Mando a side character. She's clearly the lead. And all of a sudden, no one's complaining because she's right there in the title. But when you're watching Mando's show, and all of a sudden, he has no character. Or his character arc is resolved in episode two. You yeah. must reclaim your honor. Okay, he takes a bath. Next episode, we're done. Boom. He had to be saved twice by Bo to get it done. But boom, it's done. Well, What's and- Grogu's arc? What's why is Grogu here? Well, well, because he sells toys. Well, and Sean, I'm even. I'm, I'm going to even say this. It can sound bad, but there really wasn't that. Andy, much this of a- sounds terrible. <laughs> How dare you? Oh. <laughs> but it, it wasn't even that much of a character arc. Like nothing changed for him because he got baptized, right? It was right. that that was that's his true. Side. It's not a character arc. It's yeah. just a, a it's a goal. It's not a character like, arc. That was his side quest. You know what I mean? Is like he he had a box to check. He checked it. You know he brought water back to the armor and he's good. Bo-Katan had a religious revival, right? You know, and then saw a beast they thought was extinct, and then the like armor bordering like side-eyed her like not believing her that this thing still exists you know like she had a right massive character arc even by episodes two and three whereas mm-hmm. mando was relatively static this entire season it, and especially when you look at what they did with him in seasons one and two you have this guy that lives strictly by a code it, he's a very simple guy don't take my helmet off and they created yeah. and and he, he that's all he lives for he's a loner and they create a scenario with because of his past because of his belief system, he takes on this child that is the opposite of what he would ever do, yes. but also exactly what he would do. Mm-hmm. And you get to a point in time at the end of season two where he loves this child so much he will violate the thing that has been established. It's a clear rule that he does not violate, will not violate. Yep. He takes his helmet off because he has to save Grogu. And then we get to the next episode. And they do it a second time, but it's gotten so far of, I'm saying goodbye. I'm, I might never see you again. I have to see you with my real eyes. And mm-hmm. it, it, it's such a tangible choice and action that represents an arc, a growth, and change. And then and it, it, it means so much that he would do that. And you get to the next season and to undo all of that, to like restore his, his honor. He's, he, next episode, just go take a bath and it's done. And well, it, it was like you did. You made him make a choice. It needed to matter. And both the fact that you brought Grogu back immediately before mm-hmm. we even got back to season three, before we have a new episode of Mandalorian yep. in a different show, you undid it, and you undid the 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 dishonor that comes with this choice he made in one episode. And that's the stuff I was like, that's powerful stuff. That's character arcs, that's dramatic stuff, like characters making a choice based off what they value and, and going against their core beliefs because there's something that something is even a little bit more important to them, but still they want to undo, like make it well, count, make it have meaning. And so here's another thing that ticks me off is that like when there are, op- there are obvious beats that are missed, 
So what would have helped with his development as a character, really obviously, is showing that he can use the Darksaber, right? Like, if there's a re like, because the Darksaber's fickle, I get it. It kind of picks this user. But, like, I think if he grew to someone who was, like, able to use the Darksaber and then he gave it away, right, that would be impactful because he already clearly wanted to get rid of this thing at the end of Season 2. He was literally ready to cough it up to Bo-Katan. So seeing him master it, be able to wield it effectively, and then choose to give it up, I think would have been a better payoff. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Well, even too, kind of like what Sean was getting at, I kind of weirdly look at Din's journey to a degree kind of very similar to Anakin's. Because, mm-hmm. of course, you know, Anakin loves Padme. He wants to be with Padme. He doesn't care about the Order. He doesn't care what they do. You even get a little bit of that with Obi-Wan in the Clone Wars show with his relationship with uh, Duchess Satine. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, obviously, he, as, as sad as he is after she perishes, obviously, he still chooses the Order. He still follows the way of the Jedi. He doesn't go the route that, like, a Qui-Gon Jinn does, where Qui-Gon, mm-hmm. you know, he just believes in the natural force. He doesn't believe in the Council and all that stuff, and... I, I do like how he breaks essentially their creed of the Jedi Order of, you know, just doing his own thing, essentially. But uh, that's the thing I've loved about Din. That's why he's in my top ten favorite Star Wars characters of all time, because yes. he will do anything for this child. And obviously, we all basically considered, you know, Grogu his son throughout the entirety of the show. But the fact that he now finally does adopt Grogu, he is actually his son now, is a to me, at least, it's the only decent character arc that uh, Din had throughout this season. And even to your point, the problem there is we already already believed that. So it's even, even it's a it's a great moment and sentiment to like let's make this official. Oh, oh. Mm -hmm. But it's also still not an arc because we already knew that's where he was at. Exactly. Well, and the thing I've, I've I've had the problem with this whole time, because, I mean, figuratively say, if you just want to binge all three seasons of Mandalorian in one sitting, figuratively say, it's just going to be kind of weird how you get that very sad ending where Luke and R2 take Grogu, and then you, re, then you start season three, and all of a sudden Grogu and Din are back together. Yeah. Din's got this new ship, and it's kind of like, well, what, where, what, did, what happened here? Like, how? Where now you have to basically watch the whole last half of Book of Boba Fett to kind of understand, you know, where Din's been, why he's still not great with the Darksaber, why he's got this brand new ship, where he got it from, how him and Grogu got back together. Like, you can save this for, like, the last half of this season. Like, take Din a little bit more time to get to Mandalore to baptize himself. And they kind of show us here and there, you know, what's what's Grogu been up to? Give us a whole episode. Basically, give us that yeah. whole episode of Book of Boba Fett with Luke yeah. and Grogu. Just don't have Din go to look for him. Just yeah. kind of keep what? it as a little bit of a sentiment, his little bit of armor. I mean, even, like, take it to that point. You, you, you take, the, like you say, you take those two Book of Boba Fett episodes and have that be kind of episode five or six of the season. Yeah. Where the Mandalorians are, they've been starting to regroup. They know the Imperials are there. And then you get into the finale and you haven't seen Grogu do anything with the Force. In really, 
because he has he's barely been in the season because he and maybe you do little you do little five minute bits in each episode watching him training and so we, we're seeing him training and growing in power, but you don't see him in action. And then the choice is made, the choice in the Book of Boba Fett episode happens where he decides to go back to Mando, mm-hmm. right as Mando and his people are going back to Mandalore. Mm-hmm. Yep. Then our clone of Moff Gideon, who's a horse <laughs> user in Beskar armor, shows up. And all of a sudden, he's facing down a person that defeated him before, another person mm-hmm. with a darksaber, and our trained force using Grogu who we saw for a whole season or half of a se- five years or two years pass in real time for us as viewers. And then five episodes of the show or whatever, him training and growing little snippets, showing the passage of time, showing him growing just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And thus when there's this decision to return to Mando and then Two episodes later, the decision is made. I'm going to adopt you so that you can officially join Mandalore. It feels like it makes more sense. It feels like yes. it syncs up a little bit better because they've only recently been reunited. Well, and that's and like, neither one of them could be apart. Sorry, cut you and, off. Oh no, no, you're good. I, I'm cutting you off. But like that would have been awesome. Like all I'm imagining is like episode five or six, right? Is when this plan starts to come forth that they are going to kick it into gear and reclaim Mandalore. Then him taking off and getting Grogu and saying. We're going to reclaim Mandalore, and this is my foundling, or this is my child, and I want him to be there for this. Right? Is like showing the weight of it and showing the weight of his and Grogu's relationship is that he does consider and see Grogu as a Mandalorian, and that he should be present for the reclamation for the reclaiming of their planet. Mm-hmm. Like I feel that would have also been good for Din's character arc, right? Is because then it's showing that he's literally willing to go out of his way for an event that could doom his people. Right, because he wants Grogu to be there for what is one of the biggest events in Star Wars canon, I would argue. Modern yeah. Star Wars canon, I'll say. Fair enough. So, I guess, uh, Sean, I definitely have a question for you in regards yes. to this. So, I'm, I'm very convinced Ooh. this new Dave Filoni movie is basically going to be heir to the Empire. I, 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 I since, they, since they said heir to the Empire... In the Ahsoka trailer, More than not not off base. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey! Fun fact: This is a total offshoot for you, Andy. Oh, I boy. listened to the. I signed up for Audible for the first time. Listened to Air to the Empire for the first time. Mm-hmm. Driving to Joel's wedding because it was <laughs> in Houston. So oh, I listened to yeah. six or what eight hours of it. So our friend got married in um, back in you, 2015, and that's when I listened uh, to Air to the Empire. That's funny. That is Anyway, that's I, an offshoot that. literally just for one of the other people in here. Sorry, all of you watching that I decided to say something to my friend. Well, and and so that's why I think what I've been theorizing about the Dave Filoni movie is that it's going to be like an Avengers level thing where like Thrawn is Thanos and that all these miniseries are kind of building up to a final showdown yeah. with him. So that's been like that's been my theory. I think that would be a great payoff because Thrawn is clearly a big bad. I mean, and Moth. I think it would have been great to explore Moff's beef with Thrawn a little bit more because it's clear he's kind of calling him out, right? So getting to see more of a lens into that would have also been nice. Or even if Moff came back and straight up helped the good guy, so to speak, right? Because he has his own... I don't know. I don't know. Have you read any of the the current uh, uh, Thrawn books? Heck no. So I I read a couple of... I think the first two or three, but they're like... 
he's hanging out with Anakin, <laughs> stuff like yeah, that, right, yeah, and yeah. the ones that I read. Um, and so then, uh, I, and I haven't caught up with the ones over the last few years. I just read the first few to even trying to like piece together exactly what we do know about Thrawn. And that shape, like when you realize like Thrawn's coming in and you go, wait a minute, they've made it clear. The books, it's all canon. And so you have this major character yep. that actually does have a tremendous amount of canon backstory in books, in Rebels, all this other stuff. So uh, it's kind of an interesting one of, of the way that's kind of working. So I, I guess to finish up my question. Oh, uh, sorry. That's right. You're, no, right. you're, all, you're all, good, all good, man. Uh, do you think, and I guess, would you like to see Luke Skywalker have a pivotal role in the film? Or would you rather him Ooh. either stay and do his own thing? That's oh, that's I was trying to remember the timelines of all of it. Um, um, if I remember right, I think Heir to the Empire is just like the Mandalorian. I think it's five years after yeah. the Battle of Endor. Yeah. Um. I think if you're gonna do a theatrical movie. That's a continuation of TV shows. You're in dangerous territory if you don't do something that get does this. Everybody, you got yes. and your ultimate card is Luke Skywalker. Yes. Um, if for episodes of television they could get it as good as they did for. A couple of those episodes and you know, book of Boba Fett looked a little bit better than um, Mando season two finale, but that was really good for television where we're at. And it yeah. looks like we'll get a better even look at this tech in a couple months with Indiana Jones of what they're able to do. Yes. But if you want to get normal people excited again, you show 40 year old Luke Skywalker in a trailer for a movie and he said full like one of the issues a lot of us kind of had with last jedi is we brought him back all these years later and you can even discuss the merits of the characterization but we wanted to see full force luke yes go all out in the traditional sense and i like i get what they're trying to communicate he's older he's wiser he did that was full force luke but he's wise enough to know that full force Luke doesn't have to be grabbing your laser sword and going to war because he's wiser. Yeah, yeah, it's called Star Wars. Come on now, it's called Star Wars. That's, I want to see him do that because that's what you set up in the, the mythology yep. of what's awesome in your... I get it. I Intellectually, you can logic me into, fair enough, that's what old wise Luke would do. However, well, you put a trailer out, 40-year-old Luke, who's not as wise as cranky old Luke tearing people down all of a sudden you have the hook for the broad audience because it's uh, uh it's you're you're talking about this movie it could be a very get itself in trouble being very niche because it's continuation of a bunch of tv shows on a streaming service it's potentially an adaptation of a book that came out by the time this comes out 35 years before that's niche Star Wars is not niche, but that's niche in the world of Star Wars and kind of layering niches of like, ah, do I have to read all these books? Do I have to watch all these shows? But you put 40-year-old Luke Skywalker tearing people up. Everybody wants to see that. Yep. 
So as my long answer to say, I, I, I hadn't even thought about that because my brain is so whacked out on the timelines. I hadn't even thought like, oh, yeah, that's right. Luke is right down the street. Yeah. I, I, and Luke teaming up with Ahsoka throwing down. Like there's yes, all these little things yes. that you go like Luke teaming up with his father's Padawan throwing down in the trailer. That's so multi-generational. Like who doesn't want to see that? Well, and uh, so Nerdy Leon, also known as Brandon, in the chat says, that's I good. I know him. That's good. I know him too. He says, that's good. I would say yes, because they should redeem Luke. Well, not just Luke, but Darth Vader, Anakin, right? Like by fighting with Ahsoka or interacting with Ahsoka, him revealing that Darth Vader saved his life and killed the Emperor would be massive for completing like that kind of character arc for Ahsoka. That would right, be a right. huge relief off of her shoulders. Cause yes. I mean, obviously last time she sees him is in the season two finale of rebels when mm -hmm. they fight on in the Sith temple. So, I mean, it'd be great to see, I, I guess me, I would like to see a little mini series of Luke. What, what did they, what was her interactions on in rebels? Uh, the last time that she saw uh, Vader slash Anakin, that was uh, the season two finale when they had the Twilight of the Apprentice. They're in the Sith Temple. Man, I, th I, like, I think I know what homework I need to do with my kids, but in the next two... I don't have time to watch us. I, think, I know what I need to watch now. <laughs> Play catch-up. Well, well, spoiler, uh, Darth Vader and Ahsoka fight, and uh, yeah. it's a very... It's a very emotional moment. It's it's probably one of the best animated moments in Star Wars, definitely, even just moments in general. But, yeah, they have a nice little interaction. But, like, in regards to Luke, I mean, I, unpopular opinion, I know. Uh, I, I'm one of the few people who doesn't mind how Luke entirely is in Last Jedi. But, again, that's just... How dare take. you? How do I How do I leave? <laughs> how do I kick you out of your own live stream? Can you uh, make me a manager so I can boot you? I'm sorry, Sean. I don't mean to disappoint you. But uh, I, I do feel, though, like uh, if they want to bring Luke into, figuratively say, if this is Heir to the Empire, I'm just going to call it the Heir to the Empire movie just because, yeah. again, I'm convinced. I wouldn't mind seeing a little show in regards to having Luke, you know, kind of show us him right after the battle end or kind of how he got to where we are in a little bit we saw of him in Book of Boba Fett. Obviously, mm -hmm. of course, seeing him at the end of Mando Season 2, how he is tearing up them dark troopers. And just what ultimately leads us to, you know, how powerful he really is if he yes. had to face Thrawn. Because in, in one of the books, I can't remember which one, there's like a uh, dark Jedi or another Sith Lord. He has Luke's severed hand from Empire Strikes Back and basically makes a whole clone of Luke. So, obviously, they face off in the book, which would be amazing to see in live action. But that's kind of how I feel. If they're going to bring Luke into this movie, let's kind of show where he's been these last, I guess it'd be seven years since the Battle of Endor. Yeah, no, I agree with that. But I also want to see... So my thing is, I want to see more Jedi and Sith. Like, kind of throughout the suit. Not a lot, I get it. This is the Mandalorian. We don't need to focus on that. But kind of in modern Star Wars, right? Like, we kind of need... We kind of get glimpses of Jedi. Like, okay, Luke's still here. 
Ahsoka's still here, but kind of seeing what other Sith we have out there and whatever Jedi's we have out there, I think would be nice in other in other shows. Maybe not so much like Sith, but I'd kind of like where the Empire is. Like, I'd like to have a, whether it be a movie or a show, or even if they want to do like a book or a comic series, kind of show. Well, I mean, even how like the Empire a, keeps working after Battle of Endor as well. Well, I mean, even like something that like explores like being a Sith and being a Jedi more about the philosophy and mentality rather than them being politically inclined towards the Empire or towards the Republic would be nice, at least from my point of view. Yeah, I, I think for me, going back to like the odd usage of time in this latest season of The Mandalorian, but there's there's room in this show with what they're doing with Moff Gideon to just linger with Moff and his buddies. They did it the episode of Seven. Like, yeah. imagine if each episode had seven minutes of Imperial time. Um, and and you, you, you have them as not just like, let's have them the payoff at the end, but you have them as active. Like you can, I don't, it's not like they wanted to make everything a mystery as to what happened. Like show them getting Moff Gideon. Yes. Like, like just, you had people show up and like make it unclear as to what was happening there. Like how, what, how were they so, these stormtroopers so powerful and they rescue him, and then you, you you have little teases of what's going on much more throughout the season, fleshing out um, what's going on yes. and explaining how the First Order is able to emerge. And it even makes it play better because it, when it's like you do a council meeting and I don't like Thrawn, <laughs> what do you think, Hux? When you only have one scene... Mm -hmm. To do that, all of a sudden you're going, just na everything's a name drop. As yes. opposed to, Hux's dad was there. That Like, you could have him be a character that's lingering throughout the whole season as this person that is this Imperial rich guy that life was better under Imperials. And so, like, the chaos of the New Republic... He doesn't like it. He didn't mind that other people were oppressed because his life was good. And what, you know, whatever the, and he, that, that, um, in the books, you have the Huxes as a, or a family that's more prominent in there. Mm -hmm. And, and you could sprinkle it throughout the, sprinkle it throughout everything. It's interesting enough to do that. And it makes it so the episodes, all of them have a little bit more meat to them, even if you just do a little rescue of a girl captured by a dragon. Yeah. You still have something that feels like we're, building out the world mm -hmm. show don't tell no exactly yeah, yeah. right like and i, I don't know if they, why they uh, if they're willing to do like episode three let's start off with a cold open about mando and then we'll ha bookend it with Mando getting somewhere and do something totally different in the middle if you're willing to do that why wouldn't you be willing to also just intercut your episodes with other plots like you know, every other show does like, yes. like have a enter like uh, like I feel like that episode three, uh, whether make you make it a special or you just intercut that into multiple episodes and intercut like the rescue of Grand Moff Gideon into two episodes and like you just sprinkle all this stuff that teases this bigger conspiracy of and it feels like a looming thread is out there, and we are aware of it as the audience but our characters aren't. And so we know that they're heading towards something very dangerous as opposed to, no, it feels like everything's safe. Like, surprise, there's danger. Like, well, 
Well, of course, the show would be boring if something dangerous didn't happen, but you didn't build any tension. Well, and that's, I would also like to see, I don't know, some, I love when shows do different, like, episodes from different perspectives. So maybe seeing everything having an episode dedicated or part of an episode dedicated to what happened with Moff Gideon after the season two conclusion, right? Like seeing, seeing him loaded up, carted off, maybe interrogated, like, and then broken out would be nice. Um, Let's take episode three. Yeah. The characters they picked to lead it, I don't feel were 50 minutes interesting. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's a little bit too much of like what, like seeing his apartment. Take that episode. What if you like have several things going on and you're following scientist guy and Moff Gideon? Yes. Moff Gideon's put on trial. And then this other guy is trying to, and clearly he's not reformed. And then this other guy is clearly trying to be reformed. And so you kind of have these multiple parallel plot lines going on and it crescendos with Moff Gideon being broken out and crescendos with this guy being betrayed. And then you find out this key person that is leaking information from Moff Gideon was able to escape is the same girl that tortured and tricked scientist guy. Yes. All like once again, Oh, Oh, that what, what did happen to Moff Gideon? What was the rescue like? And then you make this ultimate betrayal that she's this person that has infiltrated this incompetent um, new Republic. Although, and it feels more tied because Moff Gideon is much more pivotal of a character than two random like side scientist guy. Like, Oh yeah, I remember him well, and her. I don't, really remember her all that so well. I, I did actually, so I will be kind of an apologist for that episode. I did like it <clears throat> because it did a lot, it did a great job at foreshadowing a lot to come, right? Like we have like someone who's claiming they're reformed, but they're not. We have more of an insight as to what the specifics of Dr. Pershing's research, like cloning research was, which, you know, led to Moff revealing that he was combining different DNA, like at the end of the series, right? Like it kind of confirmed it, but it, didn't necessarily need to be jammed into an episode of the Mandalorian. You know what I mean? So that, that was my, I, I liked what they did with it, but that was still my kind of drawback or hold up about it. That was kind of one of the things I didn't entirely like about, uh, the Andor show. Cause I really was never, how dare interested. you? Where, I, how do I boot you out of here? <laughs> it's the second time I've disappointed Sean in the stream. Hey, second time you got yourself kicked out of your own stream. Man, what happens at three? Scorched Earth. (laughs) But like the the security team that the lead guy from the security team, like after he gets released, like I I didn't care about you know his relationship with his mom or really like what happens in that apartment the whole time. I don't want to see every episode him waking up every morning eating cereal, drinking blue milk. Like I could care less about that. (laughs) Show me, show me more of like what he truly, truly wants. Like, just show, like, an internal struggle with him instead of just, oh, hey, son, time for breakfast. Here's some cereal for you. Yep. Mm -hmm. The same thing with the Dr. Pershing stuff. Like, I I didn't really care to see, you know, like, what his daily routine is. Like, show me more of the internal struggle. Like, I want to continue cloning. That's why, obviously, when Aliyah Kane finally shows up, we kind of, it gets a little bit more interesting, but me, I kind of found that episode a little bit on the boring side. I thought it was interesting enough, but I, I don't think we needed to dedicate an entire episode of maybe. Right. You could have, kind of like what Sean said earlier, if they would have done the stuff with Grogu, like kind of give us a little bit here and there or a little bit with the Imperials here and there, like sprinkle it out a little bit throughout the show. Mm-hmm. 
No, I agree 100%. But uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the battle sequences in this episode of The Mandalorian because to me, I think it's some of the best action, definitely the best action of this season thus far, but maybe of the show is a little bit questionable, but uh, I weirdly kind of like how Star Wars is giving us like all these intense hallway scenes. I mean, obviously, you know, you get the hallway scene with Vader in Rogue One, you get Luke's scene in uh, Mando Season 2. Obviously, I, if you guys have watched it, the final uh, four episodes of Clone Wars, you get Darth Maul having a hallway scene. And now Mando's got his own scene. I, I well, love I, I just think I personally think the action was ten out of ten for me in this episode. Like Mando running the gauntlet without his weapons and just like taking weapons from enemies and just like having RD five like take down shields as he progresses was so. Sean, you put it perfectly. We got to see him shine, like as a combatant in this season, and that was awesome because we see. That's peppered out in the last two seasons, but in this season, we got so much Din in action. It was awesome. And then uh, I definitely want to talk about the, uh, I guess essentially you can call it the dogfight with all the Imperial Commandos against all the Mandalorians. Yeah. Sean, I definitely want to start with you on this one. Uh, what was your take on that big fight? Um, specifically the, the Mandalorians flying in. Yeah. Or which, which, yeah, that um, sequence. Um, I mean like the, the side to it, I, I, I think in general, everything felt a little bit smaller than made sense to me because mm-hmm. it felt like there's like 20 Mandalorians as they have this huge Imperial ship and then 20 of them. That was, that was always kind of a distracting thing for me. Like. You're going to repopulate a planet with 20 people? <laughs> um, yeah, it's basically like a small battalion of uh, Mandalorians. Yeah. Um, and so uh, that that was a little bit, uh, set me up for a little bit of a failure on this one. But mm-hmm. anyway, um, I mean, I think when you have Bo step into leadership, own, like step out of her sense of royalty, privilege, and all of that, and be like, I'm I'm one of these people leading the charge with the Darksaber, that's really cool. Yes. Um, and then, you know, and, it, and they shot it in a way to kind of mirror the way that a lot of um, classic, like scenes from Braveheart, where you have the two British and the, the Scots charging at each other, the English and the Scots charging at each other, and the camera's right here, and you see them, like, run into each other, and they just, it meshes together. They did that with jetpack people. Yes. Um, and so you just see them... And she's got the sword and just crashes together, people flying by each other. And I think that's to me why when you only have 20 people, it feels weird to do that style of mm-hmm. like, because that fight works if you are um, can have a high body count, not if you, yeah. you, not if you can't. Um, but so that really cool kind of stuff in that. Um, and, and then them fighting for their, their home. That's cool. Uh Awkwardly breaking the dark saber, yeah, it's yeah. kind of a nothing burger. That was a very <laughs> weird burger. choice. Like they built up the dark saber. I didn't. Yes, my fan theories didn't. The show built up the dark saber, and then it was like, you guys and your trinkets. 
You guys do that. I didn't yeah. make the the Mandalorians built around their helmets with <laughs> jetpacks and the dark saber. You did that, yeah. Star Wars. Why are you like ridiculing the audience and the, well, the character for what you wrote? And, and so that was just like, like that was really like that's the stuff once again of like it was really cool until they did something that made me go, why didn't you do this? And why why did you smack the smash the dark saber like that? And like make it like it was nothing. What? Well, I think it's going to be the same situation we had with. Uh... Oh gosh, with uh, episode nine, right? Where Ray gets the lightsabers back and where uh, Kylo Ren solders his helmet back together. Where, like you said, nothing burger. is like, it happens, but it's like, okay, the Darksaber is probably going to get rebuilt. We're going to see the Darksaber again. You know, it's it's more symbolic than anything. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like they're trying to like make a uh, a point of maybe oh you don't truly need the dark saber to lead Mandalore you just need to yeah. be a good leader but like Sean said they they've been building up the dark saber mm-hmm. since the season one finale like right it's been yeah. a huge thing even again Andy I know you haven't gotten there and I guess Sean to a degree if you haven't seen Rebels yet but mm-hmm. they really build up the dark saber like it's literally just this ancient powerful relic that like oh all mandalorians must respect it and then yes i i agree to them just destroy it in this episode it's like well why yeah like, and and i totally get the idea of mandalorian strength or their trinkets it's that we're together and leadership is it about leadership not about trinkets once again all of that makes sense if that's yes. the story you tell if you present her obsession with the dark saber as a flaw a character flaw yes. that everyone else needs to overcome so in the middle of the fight she finally learns my strength was never about the lightsaber thor ragnarok thor's upset about his hammer are you the god of hammers or are you the god of lightning yep. like mm-hmm. if you present it in some some sort of fashion like that it works it's a powerful moment but they did the opposite. They built up the Darksaber as the thing. They did that. Well, they. I think we got this kind of, we got kind of, I guess, a uh, inversion of that or a better a better version of that was done with uh, Bo Katan getting baptized, right? Like getting dunked is where, you know, she gets dunked. She takes up the creed. She's following the way. Then her and the armor have this one-on-one where the armor is like, you can remove your helmet. Like, do you trust me? You can remove your where that was one of those things where Bo-Katan is now stuck between like the dark saber and her kind of politics, right? And the end beliefs and then the covert's beliefs. And she confronts that and she takes off her helmet because the armorer tells her to. It feels like that had some good payoff as opposed to the dark saber being broken to me. I'm, I don't, there's also in regards to the armor and Andy, I know, I know it, keep breaking your heart with this theory but i i don't know there's there's something still very antagonistic about her i feel like there's y'all gotta let this go we can't y'all have got to let this go she is the armor has done nothing wrong there's no antagonism she's not evil i will die on that hill i will die on that hill happily that the armor is not the problem i have not (laughs) fought for a lot in my life but this is one of those things that i will fight for yeah, if you didn't know, Sean, like he is like has a massive thirst for the armor. Like, it should have kind of should have come out to MegaCon because she was <laughs> Emily Swallow was there. So wait, what? 
Yeah, Ooh. she she was there at Mega, and she also walked the floor in the official costume and would walk up to people and like take her helmet off. Like, hey, I'm... <laughs> there's a video of it on a uh, uh, on the YouTube's. I just watched it yesterday. I was like, oh, that's awesome. But yeah, I I, I don't know. Like, I, my theory did kind of go out the window, but I I still feel like there's just a little a little something there in regards to that character because I know she was the biggest theory of oh she's actually the spy she's actually the one she's gonna turn on the mandalorians and obviously that definitely did not happen in this episode that that circles back around to what i was saying about like episode seven or i guess that's what uh 24 i mean no 16 but 23 so chapter 23 right uh the spies that was such a failed opportunity because the internet fan theories were insane. Everyone had their tinfoil hats on. Everyone's like, no, it's Din jarring. Din's helmet is red in the intro. Like, you know, and like everyone else is blue. The armor, like everyone was pointing fingers. And then there was like no solid answer or revelation. So you're kind of left to assume that like, I don't know, either A, they're still a spy or B, Moff Gideon was a spy because he was spying on them. I don't know. The, the amount of theories I heard, it just brought me all the way back to the sequels. Like, oh, who were Ray's parents? Who is, <laughs> who is Snoke? Like, all that. Like, that. that's just the vibe I got. Obviously, it's wildly different because of all the weird fan theories of who Snoke was. Like, mm-hmm. I heard things from Mace Windu to the Emperor to Jar Jar Binks. And I'm like, no, no. that's If that's Jar Jar, I don't know what happened to him in between the end of the prequels <laughs> till now for him to go and turn into that. But I don't know, man. I'm still convinced there's a little something there. I kind of hope they touch on it a little bit maybe next season whenever we get that. But uh So I got a question. Like, maybe y'all can answer this. Why, at the end, why is Grogu, like when he's adopted, why is he Din Grogu and not Grogu Jaren? Like... You know, because he's House Jar, it's like Clan Jaren, right? Like Din Jar. So, like, why why is Grogu like called Din Grogu now, and not Grogu Jaren? Is am, am I missing something? I know there's some explanation as to why, because I think for, some people are saying that Jaren is Din's actual first name, but that that don't make no sense to me. I guess so. I don't really know, to be honest with you, for this one. I don't know enough about. Uh naming structures of his people to be able to comment on this and have anything to add. I mean, there's like, you know, clan Krees, there's a clan Vizsla, all that stuff. So, I mean, I I definitely agree with you, Andy. I I, I don't know why they wouldn't call him that either. Mm -hmm. But, you know, also, I guess in regards to the actual, since we're kind of on the subject, uh, the finale of the finale, weirdly enough, but, uh, the show honestly almost kind of seems like it's over. Like the way they ended it, like Grogu and Din are just out on this little farm out in the middle of Navarro. But like the way they ended the show, like it literally seems almost like it's over. And I know Andy, I, I talked to him on the phone yesterday. He brought up a point. Uh, apparently, like the end, like the little Looney Tunes circle they put on Grogu. Uh, <laughs> Supposedly, they only used that once, and that was uh, at the end of Return of the Jedi. So he- Yeah, so that's <clears throat> that was my understanding. Um, if TikTok and YouTube shorts have taught me anything, which <laughs> I have a wealth of 
unusable knowledge from those two mediums is someone made a comparison about like Luke and not Luke, uh, Han Solo and Leia like kissing or like at the end of Return of the Jedi, we see that uh, circle, that circle close. And I was like, this feels like the first seek, the first trilogy or the first chapter of Din's song is completed. So I think there's more Mandalorian left. I think they already confirmed season four or if not, they've basically confirmed it. I think Favreau said he's already written season four before season three debuted. There was a thing where he said, I've already written season four, which I, yeah. I'm confused what, what, how this is a thing, but supposedly like he said that. Yeah. That and, does seem a little odd. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that, but I also like the way this episode concluded because it felt like it was resetting the status quo. Right, like it feels like it. Ret- it was saying we're returning to form with what you loved about the first season. Yeah. They're going to be doing misadventures and like potentially working with the Republic. So they do it in a way that allows them to set up and lead into the sequel trilogy, while also returning to that kind of episodic, fun Western space cowboy vibe from the first season. Yeah. So in the um, from. Well, I guess the article is not from just a couple weeks ago, but the quote was from a little while ago. They asked him, like, will there be a Mandalorian season four? And he said, John Favreau said, uh, I've already, uh, I've written it already. That's Dang. the quote. That's the quote to will there be a season four from two months ago. Let's freaking go then. Interesting. I, I do February hope... 22nd. February 22nd. Oh, wow. When okay. It, when it said that. Interesting. I, I do really hope they go back to basically the plot of season one. Cause again, that's why I hail season one to be the best season of the Mandalorian by far. Mm-hmm. But I also really hope there's actually a time jump. Well, don't get me wrong. I love seeing Grogu as a baby. He, again, he's a hot merchandise seller, but <laughs> to see him actually grow as a character to now see him grow as a Mandalorian, I want to see an older Grogu. I'm not saying he yes. jump like 10 years or anything like that, but Let's 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 go a little bit farther in his lifetime. Yeah, I agree with that. But I, I don't know. I that was the thing that just kind of saddened me because I'm like, I, even though again, I, I did hear that too that season four was written. It, like just the way it ended, I'm like, it it just it just seems like it's over. Hmm. Yeah, it had that feeling. I mean, like, I know that there's going to be more, but I think that's why it was such a great season finale, right? Is because it makes you, this is one of those season finales where it's clear that we put like a bookmark or like, oh, that this part is over. Because each preceding season finale, there's like clearly something else on the horizon. You know, like. And season two felt like that closed out very clearly, definitively mm-hmm. closed out the story. But then it was also like. Mandalore's still out there, the dark sape, like it very clearly teased things. Yes. And this one doesn't even have a, didn't even have a post credit or anything. It had no tease mm-hmm. other than, Hey, I'll be your marshal out there. But that's not, that's like, what's his job? Well, that's not like a the plot. That's literally what's his job. What's he going to do on Tuesday? Well, I mean, to, to me, and that, that's also when you bring it up, I wonder if they're using that as kind of a way to clean up some of the plot lines they had for Rangers of the New Republic. 
you know, like, cause I'm assuming they probably planned out some stuff that might have heavy plot implications. So I wonder if they're just using Mando to fil facilitate that now, you know, like. Well, and I'm also curious too, cause I know this, uh, skeleton crew show that's coming out here. I think it's next year. Yeah. I'm curious of how that's going to tie in with the quote unquote Mandoverse as they're calling this now. Mandoverse. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just curious because all I hear is it's basically like the Goonies, but just in space. So apparently Jude Law is a Jedi as well. I, I wasn't under the impression that there was going to be a Jedi in that show. I just figured they were going to be maybe like smugglers or something or just like just a bunch of runaways. They run into this guy, work for him kind of thing, I guess. I, I don't know much about the Skeleton Crew show. so Yeah, that just sounds like Star Wars, like child labor. So uh, we're gonna have to. I'm gonna have to see how that one turns out. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm excited for what's next in the Mandoverse, but it, it's still very clear that the Mandalorian is like the heaviest hitter of the Disney Star Wars series, and it feels like they're using it to do a lot. Still feels like they're using it to do a lot of cleanup for the sequel trilogy for episodes seven, eight, and nine. And that's not all bad, right? Um. Like, but I mean, as part of the the problem with the sequels is that it just kind of drops you into a scenario where you're immediately into the middle of like, oh crap, why are things bad? And you go, no, really, why are things bad? Yeah. Where, where, where did the first quarter come from? But a lot of time passed in there, and a lot can happen in that time. So, um, as soon as you kind of put this out, this idea of just because the empire went down doesn't mean you have a competent replacement government. Yes. And when you get into the world of even what Star Wars has done when it's done it done done right, commenting on actual governments and fall of empires and things you can look at history and that's true there's all sorts of times where uh fascist regimes terrorist organizations have been toppled yeah and there's nothing in there's or that doesn't mean there's something good to replace it which just creates a scenario for it to come back and you go oh yeah that's interesting that's cool when you just jump from the Ewoks dancing to Yub Yub straight <laughs> to the First Order blowing up Hosni and Prime. Mm -hmm. And Luke Skywalker's like, Ugh, man, uh, give up on this stuff. Lightsabers are stupid. It's a big jump. Yeah. It's a bit, it's a big gap. But also decades passed. And so having some of these shows that, you know, flesh it out a little bit, make it make a bit more sense, do, do a Luke story that fills in the gaps. Like, it gets me there a little bit easier. Helps well, me understand how did he get feel so cynical versus how hopeful he felt. Like what? What well, are those little pieces that got him there? And that that that's kind of like what scares me is for whatever reason Disney has done more with the Mandalorian with a quote unquote no name character up until you know season one of course. I wrote a no name character <laughs> versus Boba Fett and Obi Wan Kenobi. Right, like that, that scares me of how poorly they handled two of the biggest names in the Star Wars franchise versus John Favreau's kind of fun little experiment character. I, I just feel like it's obviously it's just a lot of like you know studio meddling because I, I, I mean, I agree with what a lot of people say, you know, like Kathleen Kennedy as an executive producer, awesome. I don't have much of a problem with her, but in regards to her actually running uh, Lucasfilm and like 
dipping her hands into everything because that has been a big thing going around too. Is apparently John Favreau actually was considering leaving Lucasfilm because oh wow, Kathleen kept like dipping her hands into all the stuff he was doing, and I wouldn't blame him because I mean it's obviously shown a lot, you know, with all these announcements that are getting made, and then all of a sudden, oh nope, just kidding, it's scrapped or writer leaves or director leaves and and it was just well established like well you can just look at her filmography Mm -hmm. everything before 2012 she like hall of fame producer Mm -hmm. but there's a difference between you are working for or with steven spielberg to help him tell his story and i mean you just watch the special features on Jurassic Park, the documentaries about it, and they'll just tell you these stories of like a, a, a hurricane came in or whatever while they were filming Jurassic Park, and she knew what George Lucas needed to get filmed, and so finds a way to both save everyone's lives as well as send a film crew out to the hurricane to film yes. it. And that's the footage in the movie of the storm hitting the island. And it's, it's like just like very much a get stuff done person. And you team her up with a great storyteller, she will get it done, and you'll get a great product because of it. Legendary producer. That is a totally different skill set from guiding a franchise. Yes. Being the the visionary storyteller, and and you kind of look at even what consistently she's done now for 10 years, is she's, um, in a very mechanical sense, like, you had a hit movie, boom, like, at you. Oh, you did Jurassic World, boom. You're doing episode nine. Oh, Game of Thrones, big hit. Boom. You're doing a trilogy of movies. Looper, that was awesome. Boom. You're doing <laughs> Last Jedi. Um, and, and just kind of like, who's the, uh, Lord of Miller? You guys are the hot new names. Everyone's excited about you. Boom. You're doing Solo. And then Kevin Feige announced to do it. And then she said, there was a quote from her a couple days ago where she was like, oh, yeah, we never had an idea. You know, that was just kind of a report that, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, absolutely, we talked. Like, of course, he loves Star Wars. We love him. You know, it'd be great if we could do that. So, yeah, that, that was announced, but we never had an idea that we were discussing. Well, and that's what? like... What? What? If there was ever... Like, what? Why didn't you say, like, no, no, like, no, we're not doing a Kevin Feige movie yet. We'd love to if we could figure it out. But we don't... Like, just, like, basic level, what are you doing? Yep. Why has there been so... The number of films... That, that are the, the Disney area of films that had gigantic behind-the-scenes issues. All of them, yes. except The Last Jedi. Every other film had major behind-the-scenes problems. Yeah, I mean, Rogue One definitely was a big one. I mean, obviously... <laughs> and I love Rogue One. Obviously, you know, the rest it, of Skywalker. And even, like, so, like, you know, Rogue One, it got meddled with and maybe fixed. Yeah, but that's to say they had to bring someone in to, to fix it. They 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 brought someone in that was k- kind of really good, but also had limitations in what he could do. So mm-hmm. they had to bring someone in to fix it. And as a gigantic Andor fan, the end results of these two things were great. But still, they didn't get it right before they started filming. And, and then think- and then of course Solo's the ultimate example of like. What did you think was going to happen? You had Lawrence Kasdan write a script and you gave it to the Lego movie guys? <laughs> are you morons? What are you what are you talking about? How how what is that pairing? Classic 75-year-old man with the hottest, freshest, hippest directors in Hollywood that are like this high the eight like they're the the bang generation of directors with Lawrence Kasdan, the guy that wrote 
Raiders of the Lost Ark? Are you? What are you doing? <laughs> well, and I heard too that like Solo was going to be a lot more of like a comedy than yeah. you know what mm-hmm. we obviously got. Which... And, like Ace Ventura it was one of the quotes. Like Alden was like, "I feel like I'm doing Ace Ventura." Like, what does that mean? What was going? Like, what can we see some of that footage? What was that? Ace Ventura <laughs> in Star Wars. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and so I'll, I'll read. I'll, I'll read. Direct that back around to uh, to Mando, where my argument has always been: it feels. I like... feel Mando would be better if he was like Ace Ventura, right? Everybody, <laughs> high five. That's what I call using your head. <laughs> but I, I I say I cycle back around to that because I feel like John Favreau has done the same thing twice with where Iron with Iron Man. They, like he got to do Iron Man, and they were gonna. And Disney was pretty much like, "Okay, whatever. Like you can have Iron Man." And then it got popular, and they were like, "Oh, you know what? We can do something with this." And then he got Mando. He got Mandalorian, and they're they're like, "Okay, you can do whatever you want with this. Go for it." And then, and then Mandalorian was popular, and they're like, "Oh, we can do something with this." And then that kickstarted them wanting to do Ahsoka. That kickstarted them wanting to do you know like Obi Wan, and then book of boba and all these things and it feels like other than mandal and then because of that it feels like they've just jam-packed all this stuff in the mandalorian all these cameos references i i think some of what goes down with john favreau is that he's someone that actually needs to he's not good when he stays on a project Mm -hmm. and i think it sucks the life out of him yeah because you um if you follow him he did like wrote Swingers, wrote Made, the indie guy, and then does Elf, and, and then he does. Uh, we'll get there. We'll get there, because <laughs> that's important to our story. Oh, so he does uh, 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 Zathura, and then he does Iron Man, and so he starts doing these bigger and bigger films. And like, wow, we love you. Do Iron Man too? He wanted three years. They only gave him two years, and that movie suffered because of it. And then they mm-hmm. started pushing in Avengers things. Then he does Cowboys and Aliens, and so he does like a bunch of big studio movies in a row. And it feels like it's sucking the life out of him. Then he does this small movie called Chef. What's the plot of Chef? It's about a cook who, mm-hmm. when we was starting out, was passionate and well-reviewed and oh. creative and energetic. And then he keeps doing this. And then he starts trying to do it for the man, for the system, gets hired by the bigger kitchen that has all these instructions and mandates for him. And so it starts to suck the life out of him. And so he's not passionate about his work anymore. And so then he has to leave all of that and go back to do something smaller in a food truck. And you go, Favreau, man, you you literally made a small film about yourself using this chef as an allegory for your own time working for big, gigantic studios. And then he does Jungle Book, which is well-received technological wonder. Mm-hmm. And then he starts giving Mandalorian, and then he gets sucked back into this Disney World. Lion King, also a technological wonder, but not nearly as well received. Feels like, what? Why did we? What is this? Made a zillion dollars, but why did we do this? It's the highest grossing animated film of all time. This live action Lion King. And it's Mandalorian. It's fresh and it's exciting. And then mm-hmm. I want you to do more. We want you to do Book of Boba Fett. We want you to do this. We want you to do this. And all of a sudden, you get season three. And like Iron Man 2, like Cowboys and Aliens, it just feels like the life's getting sucked out of him. Yes. His writing is struggling. There's not that passion there. Like this guy, go, like, hey, Kathleen Kennedy, 
I'm leaving for three years. I'll come back and I'll do Mandalorian <laughs> season four in three, four years or whatever. Uh, I'm going to go and make a movie that costs $5 million. Now, I've got a lot of friends. And so you watch Chef, it has like a no budget. Robert Downey Jr. and Scarlett Johansson because he's friends with everybody. So I'm sure he'll, he'll have a full of movie stars. But go do a small movie that's mm-hmm. just a little passion project. Like he loves cooking. That's why he did Chef. Mm-hmm. He actually did a TV show called Chef as well. That oh, it's, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. That, that it's him cooking with his it's like him interviewing Robert Downey Jr. while cooking him food. Let him go and just do something that is not gonna make a ton of money. And if I was Disney, I John Favreau, you made us a zillion dollars via Lion King as well as Grogu. Thirty million dollars to do whatever you want. Yep. Whatever if you want it to be family. If you want it to be one of our subsidiaries, put it over in, in the, the 20th century. So it's it's maybe it's not family. It's a, whatever you want to choose, $30 million. Refresh yourself. Make one for you. And we're going to fund it because you made us way more than $30 million. Well, Carp lunch. Boom. Well, even even with as not even with not as much. I know what I'm trying to say. I don't have as much movie experience or intel as you and Austin do. But I think what would also help him is just, like you said, yeah, carte blanche, but also time. Like time in the sense of like not forcing him to turn something out in one or two years, but also not constraining him or forcing him to do eight episodes. Because I feel like we also saw that suffer a little bit in that season. But, you know, I mean, suffer a little bit in this season, like what you like what you were saying, Sean, about how a lot of this could have been fit in different episodes or like i know a a one-off season versus him having to just drag it out and the thing i'm scared of and uh i'm ready for my third strike here sean but uh i'm a few (laughs) i'm one of few people who likes the sequels enough but obviously you know it is shown that you know pumping things out so fast definitely is ruining the quality of everything that's the thing I'm kind of getting scared of with this again, quote unquote Mando versus, you know, they're just pumping out shows now left yes. and right. And they started announcing other spinoffs of Mandalorian. This is with one Bob thing... Iger's return. I think they're, they're going to nix a bunch of those and they're going to pump the brakes. Okay. I, I mean, I think you can look at I mean, it's You already see with Marvel, but I think with star Wars, I expect like, you know, they announced 1000 shows a year ago, whatever. I don't know how many of those we're actually going to get, but I think they're they're trying to do better. Anyway, so I cut you off. All good. Yeah, I, I again, I'm just a little worried because again, obviously, you know, especially when you see things like Last Jedi and mm-hmm. Rise of Skywalker, how they're presented to us on the screen and everything. I mean, it obviously shows. I mean, I like Rise of Skywalker for what it is, but it is a very jumbled Frankenstein of a mess altogether. And I just, I hope they don't do that with the Mandalorian. I mean, season three kind of, to me, like dipped its toes in it. Same thing too with book of Boba Fett with how they established Boba Fett in season two yes. of Mandalorian. Cause I'm not the biggest fan of Boba Fett. I do like what they did with him in season two. Like that's my favorite version of Boba Fett. And then you get to his actual show. It's not even entirely about him. 
he's a lot more jokey, lighthearted and stuff. And Speaking of Calvaries, Book of Boba Fett, they set him up in the first three episodes to be best friends with the, the Tusken Raiders. Right, yes. So I, I'm thinking like, oh, what's going to happen is he's going to go to war with all these other gangsters who think it's just him and Fennec. But he has spent the last so many years, five years, with the Tusken Raiders. All mm -hmm. of the primitives, the, the natives, they're on his side, not theirs. When they go to war, the Calvary's got to... No, they were just all slaughtered. Yep. Why? Why? <laughs> what are you doing? <sighs> what are you... Why are you doing this? It's a Chekhov's gun. If you, you show me a gun above the fireplace mm -hmm. in Act 1... You better fire it by the end of Act 3. If you show me Tusken Raider allies in Act 1, they better be the Calvary in Act 3. <laughs> Jeez, Sean, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> Passion. <sighs> Lucasfilm also, if you're looking for a consultant for your story group, you can I... contact me over <laughs> on the internets. <laughs> I think that uh, I think Chekhov's gun is the best way to summarize a lot of what we got in season three, or like what we kind of like discussed earlier. A lot of missed opportunities for storylines to pan out, or to like, or character arcs to be fleshed out that they just did not capitalize on. I, I'm just keeping my fingers crossed that they don't go back to the way that they were here just a handful of years ago because. Mm -hmm. Again, the sequels is just the biggest example to show what happens when you try to do too many things at one time, just trying to get content out. Even as you guys both pointed out, you know, the MCU, like there's just so much content with the MCU. I, I can't even tell you how far behind I am. I think the last the last theatrical film I went to was Spider-Man No Way Home. And I think the last yeah. actual MCU content I watched was uh, into the Spider -verse? multiverse of madness. Uh, did you, um, prior to phase four, did you keep up? Uh, pretty much for the most part, I, I kept up, but now since everything's on Disney plus, there's just, they pump so much out. I'm just, I, I, I can't keep up with it. I'm and just I've, losing interest. I've heard that's that exact thing at so many yep. times that so many people like, yeah, I mean, I pretty much kept up. Up through through Endgame, and then you know a Spider Man movie came out, so I kept up until then, and then they're like, I mean, yeah, I mean, I saw Spider Man No Way Home, but there's just so many shows. Like I even know some of my YouTube friends that like very serious about all of this. I can't keep up with all of it. Mm -hmm. And then that's people that literally watch things for a living that I know, and then people in real life like they they message me all the time like, which uh, is there one of the shows I need to watch before this movie? And it's just there's so much that you just kind of throw in the towel. That Marvel FOMO yep. that we had in 2018, 2019, it's kind of gone because you feel like, other than No Way Home, what would you really miss out on in the last or since Endgame? Well, and that's like, that's, that's kind of like what I was saying about like kind of Mando as well, right? To connect it to the Disney shows is how you'll have like one or two really well produced shows. And then the rest of them will have characters people want to see but are like not nearly as well produced and it makes it all the more apparent. Like you, you, you don't need to like watch these shows. Cause like, I wasn't, I wasn't a massive fan of I was not a massive fan of like Miss Marvel. Right. And I didn't like Moon Knight as much as I really wanted to. Yeah. When you described it to me, I was, Oh man, this will be awesome. Yeah. And then it, it wasn't 
as awesome. Yeah. And Moon Knight, that's coming from someone like Moon Knight's one of my favorite. You have he's schizophrenic Batman, right? Like the like Taskmaster is a there are multiple people in the MC in the Marvel universe mainline that are afraid of him because they know they will if they even if they win that fight, they're gonna they're gonna regret it. <laughs> you know, they're gonna regret it because of what it costs them. Like Moon Knight is such a and then we get, you know, Oscar Isaac, who was a great cast, but just I know it fell flat, and that's what a lot of these shows had felt like in both Star Wars, like Mandoverse, and in uh, MCU Phase Four. I feel like they're losing their with the, kind of forgetting what they are. Like, yeah, uh, Moon Knight was uh, like a globe-trotting adventure Egyptian mythology show. It wasn't a superhero right. show, so mm-hmm. Moon Knight isn't in Moon Knight very much. Well, it's just Mo- like they lost themselves. Well, and Moon Knight, the vibe I was expecting from Moon Knight was Daredevil. Like Netflix Daredevil vibes, because Moon Knight is ultimately portrayed mostly as a street level hero. Anyone who reads the comics knows that nine times out of ten, he's street level. Yes, there is a lot of like supernatural stuff, but and that's the opposite. Like, it literally ends with a Power Rangers fight. <laughs> it ends with Power <laughs> Rangers. Like that's cr- and like it's crazy, and. Street level is the opposite of what would you yes. describe that show, and feels like if they'd gone street level, it also would have cost half as much and been <laughs> twice as is is exciting. Well, and that and that case, in, I mean, one of his main fighting styles. I'm sorry, his main fighting styles in the comics is boxing. Boxing, you know, like trust me when I say, like you're not gonna be throwing haymakers with a ton of ghosts nine days out of ten. You know, and that's like, I mirror that with Mando is like Mando season one was also a quote unquote street level. I mean, as much of a street level as you can have for like a space opera, but you know, it was like that lower scale. Yes, there were still high stakes, like saving villages, but he was still kind of an every man's hero sort of thing. You know what I mean? And lone wolf and cub style guarding this kid. He wasn't on this massive galactic stage. And that's like what really helped the show have that uniqueness. Well, and that's uh, like like a uh, Shang Chi. Like I, I really yeah. liked the movie. Yeah. Like I, I loved it up until the ending. Like I'll be honest. Like yep. when that when the dragon and stuff came out, and it started getting all uh, essentially kind of like how Sean worded with uh, Moon Knight. Like uh, gets all like Power Rangers. Like like I loved it because it, it felt honestly for a lot for a while it reminded me like watching an old school Jackie Chan movie. Right. Yes. Movie, like. Her just an old school martial arts well, film. And, then... and the final fight between his dad, you know, like Shang-Chi and his dad is so emotionally impactful and it's just beautifully choreographed. We did not need a giant Lovecraftian dragon, you know, to be added to that mix. I didn't hate the dragon. Like that wasn't the thing that would like knock it back for me, but yeah. there is that sense of, it just feels like there's th- these mandated everything has to go bigger Yes, with these films. Actually, I, I'm finishing up a book from Christopher Nolan or about Christopher Nolan. And it's, it's like him being interviewed for like 40 hours and condensed into him talking about all of his movies. And he talks about that back with even Batman begins of everything he wrote. They'd always come in and go, can you make it bigger? Can you make it bigger? Can you make uh, it bigger? Yeah. And that was almost 20 years ago or when he was writing it, it was about 20 years ago and that's only gotten more so. And even thinking about how like, uh, I loved the Jackie Chanisms, but then they even would violate the concept of Jackie Chanisms. So you do the 
the bus fight and it does a cool Jackie Chan thing. Yes. And then it cuts to CGI Simu Liu flipping around on the outside of the bus, which is a violation of what makes Jackie Chan exciting, which is Jackie Chan is really doing that. It's not CGI. And then likewise, let's have a cool fight on the outside of a building on the scaffolding. And you go do the same fight but inside and make all of it real choreography. Yes. And it would be the most thrilling and exciting fights. And it's still some of the absolute best, but I think it would have been better. And then you get to the finale. And once again, we have to get even bigger. And so then we have dragons. And um, and when you do that stuff, uh, even to film them, you you have to have the camera is like floating through the air. That yeah. it's a perspective that's, that it's not... Even the camera's not grounded in reality. Or you think the the final, the the big section that everyone makes fun of in Black Widow, this fairly grounded spy movie ends with them falling from the sky while sword fighting and running down things that are like smashing. And so you're watching it and you go, your brain just immediately knows, I'm just watching a special effect. None of this happened in yeah. any, any real space because it's all an effect. Because cameras can't be there, they can't be there, none of this can be there. And and it's that lack of anything that kind of like brings it back down yep. to connect. And just everything, like, you go so far into spectacle that the human brain immediately knows, I am watching a, a highly advanced cartoon. Yes. And I think it cheapens even the stuff that's really good. Which they, they, they had the right idea. Jackie Chan choreography. And, and the stuff with his parents... That's the Jet Li, uh, Yuan Wu Ping, Wire oh, Fu. And they brought... A lot of Crouching Tiger. Hidden and, and that's, that's the Yuan Pu. That's his stuff. He choreographed Crouching Tiger. So bringing in the Wire Fu, Crouching Tiger, the Jackie Chan, it was all right there. But then that whoever, the guy is that goes, but it has to go bigger. <laughs> and you violate the thing that made their movie unique and that would have made it even more exciting. Real stunt work. Real choreography, not more advanced cartoons. Disney, actually, all the studios really, but God. but I mean, Disney's at the Disney's at the head of it, right? Both Star War for Star Wars and for Marvel. The sad truth is, like, they've kind of found formulas that work with MCU and Star Wars shows. Kind of work, kind, yeah, but doesn't well, work like it used to. Well, I, I hate to put it this way, you know, but like. Oh God, I'm, I hope I don't get hate because it's a bad meme. But it's like, why is Nickelback such a meme? You know what I mean? Is Nickelback is such a meme because people love to aus- lo- hate awesome things. That's why. <laughs> but so, like to that point, right? Like Nickelback. I've never met a Nickelback fan. Like I've never met someone who's like tried to sell me on They're Nickelback. They're the best. Yeah, but here's the thing. But enough people clearly listen to them, right? Like clearly listen to them that they still have crowd appeal. You know, like. And that's how like some of these MCU shows are. Is even if we talk about everything they've done wrong, there's still clearly enough people like them to warrant them being made over and over. Yeah. So I started listening to Nickelback before How You Remind Me, their album before that, <laughs> with Leader of Men, Breathe. I remember when they first broke. You, you millennials are too young to remember when they first oh, emerged on the scene. You're, you're just making fun of us. That's called ageism, Andy. That's not- I got to get going in, the li- in a couple minutes because I have a live stream in 10 minutes. <laughs> going from live stream to live stream. So um, not to take over, but at least for me, if you have any final questions for me, if you have final things for me, I got I, I to gotta head on out. Very I shortly. think that is actually just about all we have discussed from 
Mandoverse to Star Wars to, to our Nickelback con- being awesome to our collective <laughs> contempt for Disney. Yes. yes, and our collective love for Nickelback. Well, I don't know about that, but yeah, totally. <laughs> so, so I think well, if it, other than closing thoughts, well, Austin, Sean, any closing thoughts? I think I've said about all I can say, which is a lot. But still. I, I think I've pretty much covered everything I wanted yeah. to say. So yeah, we, We've been going for almost two hours, and we, we somehow we even got into Moon Knight and Nickelback. That's how uh, far <laughs> off, that's how yeah. deep we went down this uh, this rabbit uh, rabbit trail. Um, I, I think the thing that's frustrating about Star Wars right now is that it, there's not a shortage of ideas that go, oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. There is something wrong in the execution. Yes. And I feel that's consistent about Disney pretty much since 2019. Since they launched Disney Plus, I feel like there's been that issue of quantity over quality. And yes. if you try and crank out so much stuff at such a pace... Of course, something gets lost in the process. You can have all the money in the world, but human talent, you you can't throw money at John Favreau and Dave Filoni and make them suddenly, because you threw money at them, yep. be able to write a great script. That still takes time. And there's still only so many great writers, so many great directors. And I think you're seeing that across the board with all these Disney things of their suffering because they tried to use money to create quantity. Human capital human talent is still a limited resource mm-hmm. and especially with mandalorian season three favreau still got great ideas but there were problems with the scripts that he wrote big yes. problems that us spitballing came up with so many better th- ways to handle the ideas he came up with yes but on I, that note, I got to go. <laughs> All right. Great Sean. talking to you. Thank you so much for having me on. Andy, I'll probably yep. see you sooner than later in real life. Wait. Uh, Austin. Last question, Sean. Oh. Love you. If you had to give this episode a rating from one to ten, what would you give it? Yeah, we barely even talked about the episode. We're talking about the season as a whole. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of like a 6.57 out of 10. It was fun. Really? But, the, but because there was so much stuff that just I went... I'm watching it like that was fun. That was cool. But everything was that was cool. But so why did the mythosaurus show up? Why didn't clone force using Gideon show up? Why did the dark saber get smashed like that? Why didn't the new Republic show up? Why didn't they have a post credit scene for Ahsoka? If they if they teased the yeah. previous episode, why didn't so it was one of those ones where um, there's a lot of fun. The, the action was cool. So I, I, I got to go positive because I had enough fun with it. But once you get beyond, like, did I have fun? Like, yeah, I had enough fun with it. Then I go, this should have been better. Yes. There, You set up so many awesome things that were better than what you ended up delivering in the end. Yes. Awesome. Sean, thank you so much for your time. And we'll be seeing you again real soon. Bye-bye. Bye for now. Austin, my man, what are you thinking? What are you feeling about this finale? I mean, I I definitely enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, I did like the action in it. I mean, I loved the stuff with Din and Grogu finally actually being a unit working together. Uh, I did like the uh, wow. I, I like the little tease at the end with uh, Grogu and the Mythosaur actually. Uh, <laughs> 
John, I think I'm going to get a Nickelback lower tattoo this evening. Oh, gosh. And Maybe force me to go with them. Um, uh, you know what? Oh, I guess you're going with them, too, Andy. Well, best of luck to you. Oh, boy. <laughs> but uh, I'd say overall as uh, the, an episode, I, I would give it a nine. I mean, unfortunately, some of, some of the things that we just discussed about the show – there are still a couple of those things, you know, a lot of questions like, you know, why they did this, why they did that. But oh, overall, for me, it was a good and enjoyable episode. So uh, I think I'm going to go. I think I'm going a bit extreme then. Y'all are making me second guess myself. I'm going to go ahead and say I gave it or at least I gave it a 10 out of 10. Okay. You know, I've, I which I, I'm going to have to rethink that because I think recency bias is kicking in hard. But I felt a lot of emotions watching this. I felt like it capped off and ended a lot of things so well. I thought it delivered an excellent payoff to a lot of things. I didn't see where they were going throughout this season. And I think ultimately it ended on such a brilliant note with Din. Even if we don't understand why Grogu is now Din Grogu and not Grogu Jaren, it ended well with the formal adoption of of Grogu and resetting the status quo. So that's why I'm giving a 10 out of 10. It just felt very full and like it was a good ending to these three seasons for me, at least. I definitely would agree. Well, you guys, that is going to do it for the finale of the Mandalorian. But, uh, next week, I think we are going for Sunday. Uh, we are going to be doing a finale episode of the Takalorian Live. And we are going to have some of the past guests that we have have had on. Uh, we'll have to see who can join. But uh, make sure you guys stay tuned for that. Uh, and we got Zach Pope here. I love seeing this collab. Great stuff as always. Good to see you, Zach. Zach. Good to see you too. Thank you so much, man. Thank y'all all all for tuning in for our season finale wrap up of the talk of Lorian. And like Austin said, just to reiterate my man's point next week, we'll be doing a bit of a collab and talking about our views and our feelings, thoughts about this season as a whole. So guys, uh, with that being said, as always, make sure you hit that like button, subscribe if you haven't already, and we'll see you guys in the finale.